Hello and welcome to the Crypto Cafe with Randy Zuckerberg. At this cafe, we embrace newcomers and experts alike to all things crypto, NFTs, metaverse, and Web3. I'm delighted today to have Caitlin Long, who's the founder and CEO of Custodia Bank, 22-year Wall Street veteran who has been active in Bitcoin and blockchain since 2012. So true OG here. Caitlin, it's a delight to have you on the podcast today. Oh, wow. Thanks, Randy. It was That's such a nice introduction. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Wonderful. So if we were together in a real cafe, where would we be? What would we be drinking? Set the stage. <laughs> We'd probably be having uh, having something strong because <laughs> in this uh, in this day and age uh, in the United States right now, holy cow, uh, there is a real attempt to push tech forward banks, including those related to the crypto industry, into the shadows. And we've just seen a number of banks fail. We're recording this this morning right after the First Republic bank yeah. failure and takeover by JP Morgan, which the government, in spite of their protestations about certain banks being too big, just <laughs> made a, a bit a, a a big, the biggest bank, even bigger, and in fact, actually relieved uh, actual restrictions on its ability to grow in order to do this. And at the same time, they're pushing the crypto industry offshore and into the shadows. Mm. Um, and, and as a result of that, uh, there are real questions as to whether the crypto industry in the United States, including some of the name brand companies like Coinbase, will actually survive in the United States. We just got back from the biggest industry conference, and that was the talk of the town, that that huge businesses are actually moving to Singapore, to Dubai, to Switzerland, to get out of the United States. It's sad. Wow. I mean, I, it's interesting. I was going to ask that because it seems like, you know, not only are the banks that are supporting the crypto industry um, failing and, and being pushed to the shadows, but even consumer on and off ramps into crypto seem to be taken away on a daily basis. And so um, it's almost making it impossible for new consumers to to get into this industry at all. That's true. And I must say, I'm not defending this industry as a whole. There are There's a huge swath of it that still to this day, even after the bankruptcies of last year, need to burn to the ground. Mm -hmm. they, they are, there are scammers and there are outright criminals that are stealing people's money by using social media to portray themselves as legitimate when they're not. And what's interesting is that the, the, the Washington DC regulators seem to want to not make any distinction between those of us who are legitimate businesses, who do care about consumer protection and who are law abiding and those who are just not. One, one thing that came out of that conference, which was really fascinating, is that blockchain is not the hottest area in tech anymore. AI is now. And many of us who are hardcore blockchain folks are happy about that because the grifters and outright criminals are now moving to the next big thing and leaving the rest of us who really are interested in this technology in a law-abiding way 
alone. And I think that's a, that's a great thing. It, it, and here's one last irony to, to throw in about AI, which is that as we increasingly see deep fakes, the, the, for example, the Joe Rogan deep fake was incredible and it was produced by AI. It was. And it sure, it sure looked like it was actually Joe Rogan's. We're going to have to come up with ways to understand what's legitimate and what's not. And there's a very simple way to do it. And it involves crypto. Dr. Adam Back, who's one of the few people alive who could be Satoshi Nakamoto, created something called Hashcash as a way to, to fight email spam in the 1990s. And it is a, it's a very simple concept. If somebody's willing to spend some money to prove that something online is legitimate, then use economic incentives to let them spend money. And when, when the AI deepfakes come along, they're not going to be spending money to prove their legitimacy. Well, here's the problem. The dollar and the euro and the yen are not digitally native. They're not internet native currencies. What are internet native currencies? Things like Bitcoin. So what's going to end up happening is that the currencies of the internet are going to be used to prove what is real and what is not. And I'm really bullish about that. Absolutely. And so uh, thank you for giving us such a great lay of the land. I'd love to hear about your entry into Bitcoin and blockchain back in 2012 as one of kind of the the true people interested in this technology. What got you interested? And I mean, you, you've you weathered some real roller coaster years. Like what's going on now is, you know, sure. feels uh, like a, a, a real winter, but you're like you've seen some stuff. <laughs> being uh, oh, yes. <laughs> This is my third winter. And actually, the first one was much more threatening to the industry because back then, back it, it, the winters happen every four years. And there's a reason for that, because Bitcoin goes through a fundamental cycle called the halvening cycle, where the inflation rate of new Bitcoins that are mined into existence gets cut in half. So in other words, to put it in plain English, Bitcoin gets more scarce every four years. And so we go through these four-year cycles. And um, in the down part of the cycle, which is, of course, where we are now, what you always see is the scam businesses fail and you see the banks debank the industry because there are scammers around. And the first crypto winter that I went through, which was Bitcoin's first crypto winter, was back when Mt. Gox failed in 2014. We saw the same thing back then. The banks got the banks backed away. And we also saw um, a big collapse in the price. Uh, and it, it, I sat with big losses on my Bitcoin, but I actually kept buying. Um, and and, and uh, fra- back then, Bitcoin wasn't sufficiently decentralized. I think, and some of the academic research has has shown that Bitcoin became basically resistant to even nation state actors attacking it because it became so decentralized about that time, about 2014. And that's about when if the U.S. wanted to shut it down, it could have. Um, But Ben Bernanke, the Fed chairman at the time, testified to to a Senate banking committee that Bitcoin had interesting technology and he didn't shut it down. And now here we are. So, yeah, that first crypto winter was tough. And um, but 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 uh, we've been through it before. We're going to survive it and come out even stronger. That's the great irony. The the government trying to shut it down is not going to succeed. It's just going to go around them. And then the regulators are going to play whack-a-mole. 
For sure. And I know um, you. one of your big initiatives, you led the charge to make uh, the state of Wyoming an o- oasis for blockchain companies. I'd love to hear a little bit more of that and, and kind of how that's going today. Well, um, yes, this was this was the idea of trying to figure out how this new technology, this is a technology, but it's also an asset class and you can't separate the two, but it doesn't fit within the current legal and regulatory regime. Why? Because it's not really a security. It's not really a commodity. Is it money? Some people think so, others don't. And so really, if you think about the way the laws work in the United States, all financial assets have to fit in one of those three buckets, money, securities, or commodities. And where does Bitcoin fit? So what Wyoming did was step up and say, we'll clarify this. And it led the charge and actually has had a huge impact on other states in the United States following it to define what Bitcoin is under the law. And the reason that's important is we're starting to see litigation occur and judges need a roadmap. They don't want to have to make interpretations on their own of questions that are very difficult to answer. But it's so crazy because here we are now 14 years after Bitcoin was invented and the U.S. federal regulators in Washington, D.C. are still fighting and won't answer the question what is Bitcoin? What is Ethereum? What are other cryptocurrencies? Are they securities? Are they commodities? Are they money? The Washington, D.C. regulators won't answer that question as recently as last week in front of congressional testimony. Do you think that's because most of them still don't even know what Web 1 is, let alone what what's going on with Web 3? Oh, Randy, that's such a great question because I think there's a big part of that. One of the things that's happened in the bank runs is that some of the banks that have failed were the most tech forward banks. And is that a coincidence? Did it make their customers more susceptible to grabbing their deposits and running at the first sign of trouble? Historically, when when you, if you think back to the Jimmy Stewart character in It's a Wonderful Life, right? You literally had to go line up at your bank. Everything was analog. And if the if the money was in Jimmy's house uh, or John's car um, or or Jane's small business, um, it wasn't there for the depositors to withdraw. That's always how banks have worked. And historically, the bank regulators have had stress scenarios where 35% of the deposits were withdrawn in a short period of time. Well, it, what we've seen is now 25% of Silicon Valley Bank's deposits were withdrawn within the span of a few hours. So, it, so, so what's happening, you ask a really important question, is it that the regulators who definitely, there's, there's definitely a, a generational aspect to this. Um, is it that the regulators would, they feel much more comfortable and the regulations and the laws were designed in an analog world and they don't fully understand what it means to become natively digital. Is that a part of it? At first I thought it wasn't, but then the three federal bank regulators in January put out a a statement discouraging banks from using open public and or permissionless networks. Well, at first I thought, well, they're trying to get at Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? They're open public and or permissionless networks. But then I started to think, 
so is TCPIP, an open public and or permissionless network. So all, all the protocols on which the internet runs, SMTP, HTTP, voice over internet protocol, every bank uses those today. And what the bank regulators said wasn't open public and or permissionless blockchain networks. They said open public and or permissionless networks. So I think they were actually encouraging the banks mm. to step away from this online banking. Now, let's if that's true, here's what's going to end up happening. Crypto is actually going to explode faster in use, not necessarily in price, but in use, because especially the younger generations have zero interest in going back to an analog world. They have, in many cases, never used a check, never set foot in a bank branch. And, and so they're just, they're comfortable with online natively digital money. And they're going to just migrate with their feet the same way that Uber users did in the beginning when ta taxi and limousine commissions were trying to fight Uber. The users just went around the regulations, and that's what's going to happen here as well. And I think the regulators are making a terrible regulatory call. Mm, I, I couldn't agree more. We're here in the Crypto Cafe. I'm your host, Randy Zuckerberg. I'm delighted to be speaking with Caitlin Long, uh, founder and CEO of Custodia Bank. So I'd love to hear about what you're building now, what you're focused on. And I know you're in a kind of in a... In a uh, a really interesting spot sitting in the middle of this regulatory and banking landscape. So um, I, fascinating to hear what you're working on. Uh, well, we're, <laughs> we've been blocked by the federal bank regulators, um, who I think, as, as, as your question about Web 1.0 implied, they're not, they're, they don't fully grasp Web 2.0, much less Web 3.0. And, and um, those of us who have one foot in both worlds, as you pointed out, I spent my whole career prior to coming to Bitcoin back in 2012 um, in, in the traditional financial world. And I have zero interest in doing something that for, for which either system, the traditional system or the crypto system is going to hurt each other. I think these two systems are going to grow up in parallel. It's going to take years for the crypto system to get to the point where it can essentially take the place of taxis in, in a city, just as Uber and Lyft ultimately did. That's That took time. It, this is going to take time as well. And I'm not interested in the two systems hurting each other. But what's happening is the federal regulators are, are throwing up roadblocks. So the state chartered banks like Custodia are still able to operate. They, they just don't have access to things like FDIC insurance or the federal payment system as traditional state banks have always had access. It's, the, it's Washington, D.C. overstepping its regulatory authority to push the the tech forward banks into the shadows here. Uh, and, and, and this is a, this is a long fight. There will be multiple battles on this and, and we find ourselves unfortunately in one of those, but we can continue to operate and we will be soon. Unfortunately for consumers uh, who are, who have expressed interest in doing business with Custodia, we're as at Custodia only going to be servicing in um, businesses. We're a B2B company, um, unlike some of the other players in the crypto industry that do service consumers, we'll be servicing companies 
that do service consumers, but not servicing consumers ourselves once we start operating and we're not op- not operating yet. Stay tuned. Mm. So maybe um, even just for those of us who are a little bit newer at this, what is the appeal of being admitted to a Fed member bank at all? Um, like what's what's the benefit? Um, and why does it even matter? Great question, because uh, a lot of folks really, truly are just trying to build the go around the traditional system. Uh, but here's why. It's precisely because it's going to take time. The the it, Bitcoin is not ready for hyper-Bitcoinization. I do believe that Bitcoin will ultimately be a currency that becomes a currency of global trade. It already is in a in very small ways, but it's it's still quite small. And the technology still has a long way to go in terms of scalability of something called like the Lightning Network. I'm a big fan of the Lightning Network that can move money at the scalability and the speed of light and at, at a fraction of the cost of the big card networks like Visa, MasterCard, for example. But it's new and it needs a lot of time and testing. And so what's going to end up happening, I think, is that that the crypto industry still needs connectivity to the traditional banking system, but it has to be done in a very careful way. It has to be done in a way that doesn't cause bank runs in the traditional banking system. And so what Custodia proposed is, I think, the right model, which is don't let banks that can settle transactions at the speed of light, not at the speed of analog waiting in a bank, waiting you know, in line to fill out a paper form at a bank branch. When you're, when you're settling at the speed of light, things like bank runs can happen at a lot faster pace. It's an obvious statement. And so the last thing that the bank regulators should do is have traditional banks that are designed for analog settlement of transaction times to to bring these new technologies in. The bridging of the two has to be done in such a thoughtful way to to make sure that, again, that, that, that the two systems don't harm each other, that they're able to develop in a way that that both are safe and sound and that these new technologies, ultimately people vote with their feet voluntarily to use them as opposed to being forced to use them or forced not to use them. Mm, It's so wise and we're lucky to have someone like you on the front lines of thought leadership on this. How, How do you think crypto can find its way back after such a tumultuous year or so? Oh gosh, we are just going to continue to build. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's there for anyone to voluntarily use it. And uh, I still, I see every time now there are more questions about the solvency of the bank system. I see more traditional finance people start becoming so-called orange pilled. They go down the rabbit hole. And I see it just in, in my own little corner of the world in my LinkedIn messages and LinkedIn in just the quantity of LinkedIn um, uh, folks from the traditional world. These are folks who work for traditional banks or who work for accounting firms or law firms or technology providers who are interested in learning for the first time. Uh, you're really seeing a lot of new people come into this world. And what I would discourage users from, from thinking about crypto as is just a speculative asset class, the, the folks who've been around, who've been through these, these booms and busts, we understand 
how that volatility can very much hurt you. And, and instead of thinking of, of it as, as, as a trade, which I know a lot of folks do, I, I would encourage folks to start learning about the technology. It is so different and so powerful and frankly, so empowering because it's a way for you to save the fruits of your labor in a in a system that is actually far more stable than the traditional system. Again, we're we're recording this on the morning of the the third major bank failure in in just the last couple of months and 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 I think most folks would agree with this with the assessment that the banking system has not proven itself to be very <laughs> stable. Well, guess what? Bitcoin keeps adding blocks every 10 minutes. The price of the unit of Bitcoin is very volatile, but the system itself is very stable. It cannot be shut down by a government. And so if you start thinking about system stability and insurance policies against system instability, that's when you start going down the rabbit hole. And, and again, I really wouldn't encourage folks to think of it as a trade. This is, this is very powerful internet native technology that changes how human beings can interact with each other and transact in value transfer across the internet. That's powerful. I love that. I wrote down your quote that it's it's a powerful and empowering. I, I think that those are really beautiful and wise words. Caitlin, in our final minutes together, um, I'm just curious uh, what new things are on your mind or what are you excited about? I mean, you got into the space uh, such such an OG. You had your eye on what was coming uh, before so many people. So what do you have your eye on now that the rest of us should be focused on? Well, from a technology perspective, the Lightning Network. Lightning Network is what's called a layer two that's built on top of Bitcoin. Every Lightning transaction is anchored to Bitcoin, but Bitcoin itself is becoming a, because of transaction fees, it's becoming a network that you would only use for high value transfers. So you wouldn't use it to buy a cup of coffee in the morning. For example, Lightning Network, you can use it to buy a cup of coffee in the morning and at, like I said, a fraction of the cost of Visa and MasterCard. But here's the thing. If you understand how to use code, you can download the Lightning Network code, set up a wallet for yourself, start transacting today in US dollars without a bank and without permission. So what that means is 8 billion people in the world who have access to cell phones as they become more comfortable using the technology, can start transacting in U.S. dollars without permission today. And the the way they do that is that each transaction is is backed up by, it's collateralized by a certain amount of Bitcoin. So if I buy a $5 cup of coffee, there's $5 worth of Bitcoin in a Lightning channel, and, and, and you can effectively transact in any fiat currency like dollars, euros, or yen using the Lightning Network. That's powerful. And it's just, again, relatively new. We're sort of, uh, you know, in the first couple of years of the Uberization of transportation in cities and the regulators, we're, we're at the stage now where, you know, first they ignored, then they laughed, then they fought, then you, we haven't won yet, but the, but the winning stage is coming. We're in the fighting stage now for sure. Uh, and unfortunately, like I said, this is so anti-American because it's pushing these incredible technologies and, and great companies that are actually trying 
to comply with and work with regulators. It's pushing them into the shadows. I would also encourage those who are in the United States and care about technology and about freedom to contact your legislators in Congress and let them know you're not happy about this. It's Congress's job to act, Mm. to keep these industries in the United States and define what the guardrails are that they have to comply with. And Congress hasn't done that. And as a result, uh, the Biden administration, unfortunately, has taken uh, across the whole of government. We're seeing it in in the securities regulators, in the bank regulators, and in the commodities regulators. Um, just just really making an anti-crypto move here. And um, Congress is in a position to do something about it. So speak up. Love that. Caitlin, where can our listeners go to keep up with everything that you're working on, writing about, thinking about? Uh, uh, Twitter's definitely my biggest platform, at Caitlin Long underscore. Also on LinkedIn and on Noster. Uh, I use the Damus Damus client for Noster, which is a new Bitcoin-adjacent, censorship-resistant social media platform. And uh, I would encourage, uh, especially tech-forward folks, it's brand new, it's buggy, but it's so interesting. It's a relay-based network designed not to have anybody be canceled by anyone. And I would encourage folks to kick the tires on that as well. Fascinating. Caitlin, thank you so much. This has been such an enlightening and and fascinating conversation and grateful to have you on the front lines uh, for this battle. So thanks for everything and and can't wait to to stay posted with everything with you and Custodia Bank. Thanks, Randy. Really appreciate the opportunity. Have a great day. Thanks. All right. That was another episode of Crypto Cafe. I'm your host, Randy Zuckerberg, and delighted to have been joined today by the incredible Caitlin Long, uh, who had some fascinating words of wisdom about uh, the state of U.S. crypto regulation, the banking system, and everything that's going on. Uh, So definitely we're, we're in the middle of the roller coaster ride on that and grateful to have experts like Caitlin, who you can tell are so passionate about uh, guiding us that way. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Join me in the cafe next week for an all new episode.